Welcome to yet another sparkling edition of the Thought Police, the uh, the podcast that makes you think uh, and sometimes makes you angry, hopefully sometimes inspires you to do good works. Matt Kelly from the New European is here. I'm Mike Graham. Matt, a very good afternoon to you. Hello, mate. How are you? Well, I'm all right. I mean, I'm not quite sure uh, where we're going. I'm not quite sure who's in charge of the clattering train. Yeah. Um, um, and I'm really not entirely certain what's going to happen this weekend because it all looks yeah. like it might kick off in a massive way. Um but yeah. it's been a bit of a weird time, hasn't it? I can't remember a period in my life, and I'm 51 now, I can't remember a period in my life where everything seems quite as unstable as yeah. it is, you yeah. know, and, and in flux. Yes. Well, here's, here's my summation of what's going on. Um, a very small minority of people seem to be of the opinion that they can change the, the, uh, the direction of not only our history but our future. The police have seemingly given up policing. Uh, the government have seemingly given up governing. Um, and it seems to me um, that most of the media uh, isn't paying any attention to all of it. Do you think? Well, I, I, I was I was with you right up until the last part. I mm. think the media's sort of is having a field day, really. Well, I mean, we, I mean, we are literally going gangbusters at Talk Radio. We have tripled our audience in a yeah. month, right? Yeah. Um, right. And, and when, when, I, really? when, when I say the media isn't paying any attention, what I mean by that is that they seem to be reporting stories as though they're just every other day stories rather than what you yeah. just described, which is kind of yeah. chaos. Yeah, I think unprecedented chaos as well. Yeah, maybe because everything's been at such a high pitch for so long. Mm. You know, if you think back, you know, it was June 2016. So we've had now, well, we've literally had four years of high pitch national argument and mm. debate and people throwing things at each other. Maybe right. everyone's just normalised that and it's hard to get really wound up about even deeper levels of incompetence, which is what I think we're seeing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us what you think is, is, is the reason for it. Right. Well, firstly, a little snippet, which I found fascinating, uh, from somebody who's very well informed, but I can't say who. And we were talking about Dominic Cummings yeah. and his role in this whole thing. And I was told with pretty good authority that Cummings, the reason Cummings bolted up to Durham was that he was shit scared. He was literally thinking, my God, this is the day of the Triffids. I've got to get my family out of out of here yeah. and we go go to the countryside. And that the man has been conspicuously terrified of the consequences of COVID-19 because he's a nerdy type, you know, and he sort of read the worst case scenarios and he believed the world was coming to an end. Right. And, you know, cowardice is okay and normal in people, but not necessarily for the second in command of or even maybe the first in command of uh, Her Majesty's government, mm. you know, the guy who's calling all the shots. And what I think has happened is that Boris Johnson put his cabinet together thinking, OK, you know, we know what's ahead of us for the next two years. It's Brexit and the immediate aftermath of Brexit. I've got my man Dominic Cummings, who is going to absolutely pull us through that like a train. And then this happens. Right. And, and Cummings is AWOL, you know, unfit for anything. Shitting himself up in the northeast, and this would, I and suppose, explain him literally running out of Downing Street. Yes, I mean, I was told that he was literally bolting from London because he was literally terrified right. of what COVID nineteen was going to do. Right. So, um, and so now, of course, you've got this a cabinet of of people who seem very disconnected. Boris Johnson, I don't think, is equipped for to dealing with this, frankly. Um, I, I, it might surprise you, I may have said this, I didn't think it was absolutely necessarily the case that Boris Johnson was going to be a disaster as a Prime Minister. I mm. thought, you know, maybe some of the personal characteristics he displays might fall 
to his favour at this point. Mm. But I, I do think that they've handled it woefully. I can't understand where we are now. You know, you can go to Thorpe Park. You can sit next to your granny on a Thorpe Park roller coaster, but you can't give her a hug in her back garden. Yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely perverse. Right. Some of the, and you can go to a zoo gone. on Monday, but you can't go yeah. to the pub. Exactly. What's wrong with a beer garden? I know. You know I mean, it's nuts. It's, like they, it's almost like they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't disagree with a lot of that, I'm afraid. And I mean, I've been a pretty staunch supporter of Boris Johnson, as you know, uh, and particularly the government in the early stages. I think they were very um, difficult days, and I think any government would have struggled to do what they did. And I think yeah. inevitably, despite what people are saying now, um, they had to do the lockdown in the way that they did it. And I think they had to safeguard the, the NHS, which they managed to do successfully. But I think yeah. certainly since, I suppose... Um, it's it's really since the the people of the country have kind of started to feel less fearful. I think that yeah. it's all begun to unravel because I think that's right. As yeah. more and more, I mean, and I, I was talking to a doctor today who said, "Well, I I still talk to people who are frightened. Um, I don't talk to anyone who's frightened anymore." Um, but that may just be by by coincidence, you know, because he said yeah. there are still people who are vulnerable, still people who are shielding, still people yeah. who know that this this disease could kill them. But by and large, the general public, I think, are over it, you know, and I they think, think, I think that's true. And they think that, that, that any measures now are just pointless. Um, the only yeah. people who seemingly um, don't want to go back to school uh, are some of the unions. Um, yeah. Most parents, I think now, I mean, you, I think one of your kids went back to school. Um, yeah. Most most parents are kind of saying to me, well, it's really time for them to do something about the kids. You know, if they don't yeah. take them back to school, they must come up with something which is a bit more kind of regimented yeah. in terms of, you know, their homework or their study online or something. Um, yeah. Because it's just drifting now, isn't it? Well, mate, honestly, I think anybody, anybody with a school age kid will listen to what you've just said and yeah. say 100 percent. Right. Yeah. Because and it's not just the. It's not just the lack of education and the, and the sort of falling behind. It's the effect on families, yeah. you know, that are now under massive pressure and tensions and stress. You know, especially we're lucky. We live in nice houses with lots of bedrooms and stuff like this. You can go and hide away. But most people are crammed together, yeah. you know, and 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 most people don't have the access to the, you know, the Internet, the tech and the ability to, you know, get a tutor, for instance, to mm. tide them over while this is going. But that's not most people's lives. No. And most people are sitting there thinking, hang on a minute. What, why? You know, especially if you're in London, where basically, you know, it seems to me that pretty much no one's got it now. Or certainly, right. you know, the numbers of transmission have fallen so low right. in a city of 10 million people that it's it's almost not worth mentioning. Yes. You know, why why is London still completely locked down to the same degree that Scunthorpe is? Where, well, except where it isn't, though, is it? I mean, London to me, and, and I, I know that you and I are in different parts of it, but London to me is, I mean, it's not quite as busy as it always was. But I mean, I'm getting in a traffic jam every morning now on the way into work, yeah. certainly in a traffic yeah. jam on the way back out, um, certainly um, yeah. seeing a lot more places opening up. I went had my first McDonald's this week, believe it or not. Did you? Um, um, because my son's what here with me. What did you have? Uh, I had a Big Mac. Had to have a Big Mac. Yeah. Um, and actually, I think it opened last week, last Wednesday, Thursday, and there was queues. I go past it every day. There were queues kind of coming out of the car park down the road. When I went in yesterday, um, there was literally three cars in front of me. I was in and out in five minutes. Yeah. It's quicker, yeah. Than, quicker than usual. So, you know, um, there's lots of things. Now, come what, come Monday, supposedly all the kind of non-essential shops are going to open, so I can go and buy a shirt if I want, presumably. Uh, I can go and um, buy 
bunch of stuff from um, a hardware store, I suppose. Yeah. Hairdressers. I still can't get a haircut, uh, as far as yeah. I'm aware. But Kevin O'Sullivan told me the other day that he uh, he has booked an appointment somewhere. I don't, I'm not quite sure where. Um, yeah. But life in London, for me, at the moment, seems relatively normal. I think it has definitely drifted back that way, for yeah. sure. Um, and, uh, you know, there does come a point where people are going to start because people aren't sick you know we've, we we talk about this quite frequently yeah. you know about you know there are some stupid groups of people out there for sure but generally speaking the body of people are not sick yeah. and i think we've reached a point where people are saying well hang on a minute why are we why are we having to stay two meters away from everyone when right. the rest of the world's doing a meter exactly. or a meter and a half and they, and they seem to be uh, accepting that now i saw today following our prime minister's questions um, Ian Blackford raised the question of the two-metre rule. Now, I've been talking about this for at least five to six weeks because I know from just people that, that, that you and I know together and some that I know separately who run businesses like restaurants and bars, they're all saying, you know, we can make it work at one metre. We can't make yeah. any money at two metres. So it's yeah. never made any sense to me, this two-metre rule, because people also say if somebody does actually sneeze uh, and they've got the coronavirus, that travels about four metres. So, right. so the two-metres so anyway. two thing's pointless anyway. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a lot of. It just seems the general feeling is that they're not on the ball. No, you know, that they're. But they're I mean, if you off. if your if your description of Cummings is correct, and I'm not necessarily yeah. buying that because I've got a slight uh, knowledge. I've got. I'm trying to take a guess at where you got that from, and I'm not going to. You reveal won't it. guess. You won't guess. Really? I'll, I'll tell you afterwards. Oh, okay. When you hear, when you hear, you'll go. Oh right, that's the last place I saw that. Okay. Come from. All right. Okay. Well, even if it's true, right. That would yeah. suggest that that's why the government went into such a kind of panic at the beginning uh, of the yeah. lockdown and had this 500,000 figure in their heads. Yeah. If you're going to yeah. say to me that Dominic Cummings is one of these guys that fears that sort of death, yeah. um, then he would be erring on the side of caution all the time, which is yeah. exactly against yeah. the narrative of what we've been told up to now, isn't it? Yeah, well, I don't know, really. I think he's... I mean, it's one thing uh, erring on the side of caution when it comes to your family being wiped out by disease and, and or, you know, wouldn't you take your chance with the... No, no, but I'm talking, but I'm talking about if he if he was that scared of the disease, yeah. surely that would feed into his uh, his role inside of government and what he would be recommending that they do. Well, yes, but don't forget that they initially, for the first couple of weeks, bought into this idea, or so we're led to believe, that maybe the best thing to do was just let it progress mm. and then we'd all get immunity. And yes. I can I can see Cummings being behind that kind of theory because it's, you know, it's diff- it goes against, it's zigging while everyone's zagging. Well, you know, yeah, but then, like, but then if you believe that, then you have to think that at some point that attitude of his changed, presumably when his wife got symptoms. Um, yeah. And he got, in, and then he got uh, into the idea that he had to get them out of town. Yeah. Well, when I, I, all I can say is when I tell you who, you'll go, oh, okay, maybe it's more credible than you give it time for. Right. Okay. But you know, I'm, 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 I do, I do detect that somehow we have gone from, you know, a very tightly controlled and quite well-run government operation. I know you'll disagree with that, but but I think it was quite well run up until about mid-May, I would say because right. it was much more easy to control. But as more and more people started breaking the rules and the weather got better, I mean, it's the weather, really. The great British yeah. weather is to blame for all of this, right? Because as soon as it gets <laughs> sunny, suddenly more people want to go out into the park, more people want to go on bikes, more people want to do their exercise. You know, it's funny how uh, the, 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 the people who te- talk about having to cycle every day don't want to do it when the weather's not very nice, because when it's, when it's <laughs> raining and when it's, uh, when it's cold, you know, there's only yeah. about half as many people on the street. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true, and as well, you know, it's. I think that's probably 
you know, there's nothing particular about the Brits in, in that regard. So I think it's, you know, you see how they approached it in Italy and France, and people did seem to be a bit more, you know, compliant, or maybe the government was well, just a were. lot harder there. But people yeah. say that the reason for that is because they're used to it being uh, right. a kind of police state. I mean, Franco, uh, there are yeah. still people alive who remember Franco in Spain. Oh, yeah. and it was only still... 1975. Yeah, and there are people in Italy who are used to having uh, to being told what to do by the Carabinieri, yeah. you know. Yeah. so it's, yeah. a, it's a mad thought, isn't it, just on, as a side note, that... Until 1975, Spain was a full-blown fascist dictatorship. I oh, mean, do you know, not not only that, but I, I remember we used to go there with with my. We used to take the boat from Southampton to Bilbao, right, yeah, as, a, as, that, a, yeah. uh, as a as a as a trip, and we would drive across Spain um, yeah. and end up down in a place called Segunto, which was near Valencia, and yeah. um, and we stopped. I remember once in San Sebastian, um, yeah. which is up in the Basque Country, and my dad Wonderful was place. approached by the police. The half a yeah. hat brigade, as we used to call them, so that half a hat thing going on, That's right, um, yeah. with guns, which to us as kids were fr- terrifying, you know. And he yeah. was almost arrested because he was walking on the promenade just in his swimming trunks, which was apparently against the law. Is that right? Well, yeah. Think- and this would have been like late sixties. You know, the, the Spanish basically stripped all the streets and the squares named after Franco. Right? Yeah. But Santander, Santander in the north, uh, I'm told, was the last the last town in Spain to get rid of its generalissimo Franco plan. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Do you know, funnily enough, because of all of this renaming of stuff, somebody asked me the other day, and I didn't know it was true, but apparently there's a there's a, a square in uh, Madrid which is named after Margaret Thatcher. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I know there's a street named after John Lennon in Girona. <laughs> it's like a back alley. It's right. Terrible. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a Nelson Mandela place in Glasgow, yeah. so what can you do? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah. there is apparently a Piazza di Margaret Thatcher or something like that, and I'm, and I'm told it's where it's the sort of equivalent of Canary Wharf's big screen, where they put all what? the football up when there's a big football match. On. <laughs> can you imagine? What a, what a great yeah. tribute to the woman who hated working-class football fans. That's right. Yeah, they could organise a bit of poll tax rioting. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's talk about that, because that's the other big story, is yeah. this whole kind of, you know, renaming re-shaming, you know, statue-pulling yeah. down crowd of people, and I referred to them at the start of this, as a very tiny minority of people, which is what they are. And I don't yeah. mean by that a, an ethnic minority. I mean a minority of anarchists, people who have joined this Black Lives Matter organisation, which is hell-bent on just basically ruining everything and, and yeah. turning us into some kind of communist, you know, uh, state of, of, of flux. And I'm finding it absolutely staggering how many ordinary, sensible and kind of generally mainstream people are being um, are being sort of sold on it all. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm a bit conflicted on this. Are you? I mean, I think, well, I, I do agree with you that it's being hijacked by, the, you know, and a, a lot of it by the usual suspects, yeah. people who jump on, jump on whatever, you know, virtue signalling thing they can, they can get well, hold Sadiq of. Sadiq Khan, for one. Yeah, well, also my old mate Owen Jones. Um, of course, you know, can't can't get enough of it. And I did, you know, there was a it was very interesting. There was a photograph of him wearing a Che Guevara T-shirt, yes, right, which you know very popular. There was T-shirt. Now Che Guevara was one of the biggest homophobes in history and racist. Hated, hated gay people, put through hundreds and hundreds of Cubans into gay re-education yeah. centres, and here you've got the leading openly gay voice of the nation wearing a Che Guevara t-shirt. Yeah. Now, now that does, you know, I couldn't care less what, what he wears, but it does talk to this idea that we, it's a very nuanced argument, this. Yeah. And, and, you know, you look back at history and it's very hard to know where do you start drawing the line because 
if, if that guy who was thrown into the sea in, uh, in Bristol was a slave owner, right. then also lots of people in Bristol must have benefited from his benevolence. Now, is that money that should be returned because well, it was earned off I the I mean, he still has a hospital, uh, which I believe is, is a fine... Because I, when I, funnily enough, when I went to university in Bath, Colston Hall was the place where everybody went and did shows. In fact, I interviewed right. uh, Julian Cope there from the Teardrop Explodes, if you remember him, nice. um, yeah, in yeah. Colston Hall as he was lying sort of prostate, having smoked about three joints um, on the oh, stairs before he was doing his sound check, you know. And yeah. Colston Hall has apparently been renamed now. It's not called Colston Hall anymore, but I think the hospital that he founded is still yeah. named Colston, but I dare say that will be changed. Um, well, Guy's, uh, Guy's Hospital was named after some bloke called Guy who was a uh, another slave trader. Yeah, well, the guy who they took out of West India Quay, uh, who I'd never heard of yeah. before, Milligan, I think his yeah. name was, um, yeah. yesterday, yeah. was done by um, Tower Hamlets Council. Now, Tower Hamlets Council has been a Labour-run council since about 1965, apart from one yeah. small a portion of time when they were run by the Lib Dems. And, you know, apparently it was fine up until yesterday. And then suddenly yeah. yesterday they were offended by this guy's existence. And you think to that, yourself, well, really? Really? That is what just can't be. That is what, you've just hit the nail on the head because that is what just cannot be true, which right. is that, you know, you've either got something, and by the way, I think there are people out there who probably have been looking at those statues thinking, I wish they would tear them, tear them down because they offend me because I'm black or yeah. whatever. Like, I don't want to speak on behalf of any other people but but to go from i don't even know who he is and couldn't care less to my god this this is symbolic this monster you know this monster and we're all monsters and i mean it's you can't it's not possible to go from that place to that place in the course of 24 hours i wouldn't have thought so you know and, and this is the thing. I mean, I also was given, and you, you may be able to tell me if this is true or not, about Liverpool. Uh, because Liverpool, of course, was largely built on the slave trade as well at yeah, various course, yeah. various different points. I don't know what the statue scenario is up there. Um, but here's the, uh, all I can yeah. remember is from that In My Liverpool Home song that we used to sing when we went to Anfield. That's right. You know, if you yeah. if you want one a statue, we've got two to spare or something like that. No, if you want a cathedral, we've got one. Oh, was, oh that's it. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, there's something about the statues statue in it as well. Exceedingly bare. That's it. Statues exceedingly bare. There you go. And that's a reference to a statue in an old uh, super uh, department store called Lewis's. Oh, okay. Dickie, Dickie Lewis, which was a statue of a naked Neptune or someone with the most <laughs> enormous penis. And, and, and we, if you want a cathedral, we've got one to spare. Okay. We've got a Roman well, there we are. So I, 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 got, I got it mostly wrong, but I'm otherwise yeah. right. But, I mean, here's the thing. Apparently, at some point or other in the, in the recent past, uh, it was suggested in Liverpool Council that they should rename all of the streets that had connotations to do with slavery, right? Right, uh, right. But then they discovered that Penny Lane was one of them, and they didn't oh. want to change Penny Lane because obviously it's quite a big deal for the tourism yeah. uh, money for Liverpool. So they yeah. just abandoned the whole idea altogether. <laughs> well, it just, it just shows you, doesn't it? I mean, it, it sounds like a trivial point, but it, it does show you that context changes massively. You know, yeah. so so a hundred years Penny Lane in Liverpool, going on what you've just said, was named after a slave uh, owner. Yeah. And now it's named after a Beatles song. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of or the other way around. But it's the, it, it, it does change with context. And I think, you know, it's fine to me. These guys who I've never heard of and they were full-blown slave traders, I couldn't care less, to no. be honest. But when, when the conversation starts getting around to, you know, Churchill, and I saw there was a, a statue of Christopher Columbus being thrown in a, in a lake in Virginia, I think, or something yeah. like this. 
And, and you know, what about Mount Rushmore? That's going to take him a bit of time to chisel George Washington's face off that. George well, maybe Washington they could just send, send, send some exosets into it or something, just blow the hell out of it. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, the Jefferson Memorial, they'd have to get rid of that. The Lincoln Memorial, I mean, I saw that they were, they were sort of desecrating the Lincoln statue. Now, this is a bloke that yeah. abolished slavery, right? Yeah, but, I mean, but Lincoln, it just shows you, right, Lincoln today lauded as the guy who emancipated the slaves. But Lincoln, at the time wanted to send everybody off to another country. He just said, right, just get him out of America. Yeah, yeah. The easiest way yeah, but he still, he still did actually abolish slavery. Yes, he did, he did. And he put a, lot of, he put a huge amount at risk. And, in fact, he, he paid for it with his life ultimately. Yeah. So, you know, a guy who probably does deserve to be lauded still to this day. But you've got to... We've got to... We can't look at the past with the same rules and values no. that we, we live in today. It's no, ridiculous. but that's the point. That's exactly why you, when you said, where do you draw the line? Well, you draw the line yeah. at the beginning and say, we're not doing it. Because once you, yeah. st- once you embark on the process, it becomes very complicated. I mean, I got into a, a, a row with David Aronovich. Uh, like, not really a row, but he picks on me occasionally on Twitter because I think he yeah. likes to, to think of me as this kind of rabid, right-wing, sort of frothing-at-the-mouth <laughs> maniac. What gives, you know? him, what gives him that impression? Well, I've really no idea because clearly, as you would know more than anyone, that's definitely not the case, right? But, uh, um, yes, absolutely. But I'd, I'd become slightly irritated by Stig Abel, who'd put a tweet out saying that the, the Germans have won... Uh, much better the future of their country by recognising that their past mistakes were, were wrong and that, you know, they, they've they dealt with it in a much better way. To which I said, well, hang on a minute, you know, are you now equating the British past with the Nazi Germans? Because yeah, I don't think that's really acceptable. You know, we might have done some terrible things in empire, yeah. but I'm sorry, I'm not going to be told that we are yeah. equivalent to the Nazis. That's just not on. Well, that is, that's absolutely not. And in fact, you remember the huge fuss of Bomber Harris's statue. Yes. Who was, a, was the command, air commander. Well, he, yeah, but he was also the guy who went and, and obliterated Dresden, yes. the German city. Yes. And, and, and I think, actually, Britain was the first nation to sort of start this idea of firebombing. Yes, that's right. We, kicked, we started that. Yeah. And it was Bomber Harris's uh, idea. Mm. Now, he got a statue put up to must be thirty years ago now. The Queen Mother opened it. It was that long ago. Yeah. But there was a, there was a huge row and a huge debate about whether the, it was right that he get a statue, mm. and and it was decided ultimately that yes, over in on balance, his contribution was worthy of that memorial. Right. I don't have a problem with that. I think the conversation is very, very good to have. Well, yeah. A bloody statue, you know, at the end of the day, who cares? Well, exactly. And also, as I said to somebody today on the show, it's not about whether you necessarily admire that individual, but they were a significant figure in history. That's why when statues were put up, and and, and you're saying this was relatively recently, which it was, but most of the statues we're talking about were put up a a very long time ago, right? Probably over 100 years ago, when people put statues up. It's what they did, right? And so mostly the individual concerned might not be somebody that you admire, but it's certainly somebody who was significant. Like this guy Milligan. I mean, he created the docks, basically, in uh, in East India Quay. Now, that's a significant thing to have done because it was part of the merchant's sort of operations of of London for 200 years. You know, the fact that he also happened to be a slave owner doesn't deter from the fact or detract from the fact that he was a significant figure in London at that time. And when you start looking at things like... um, uh, you know, let's uh, let's re-examine, for example, what the policy was um, during the war. And I said, so I ended up putting this tweet out, which said basically, look, 
Um, I'm really not happy about people trying to compare Nazi Germany to Britain and, and how we should learn from Germany on how to come out of these terrible times and all that. And I just said this. I said, I'm very proud of, of Britain and what it stands for. So Aronovich yeah. says, are you proud of the Amritsar massacre? Oh. To which I said, well... Or, no, I think his, his, his phraseology was something like, you know, well, what, where, where do you stand on the Amritsar massacre? And I, to mm. which I said, well, it was a moment in time um, yeah. which happened a long time ago of which I'm not particularly proud. It doesn't mean I'm not proud of Britain. And when I say I'm proud of Britain and what it stands for, it doesn't mean I'm proud of everything that Britain has done. It's not of a very course. difficult concept, is it? Of course not. Of course yeah. not. I mean, here is, here is, I've just, while you were talking, I was just thinking about, you know, I always like to try and reverse the argument on myself to see how much water it holds. Yeah. Um, say, um, what was that hospital that Jimmy Savile, uh, Stoke Mandeville, right? Yes. Say at the height of Jimmy Savile's benevolence to Stoke Mandeville, right, yeah. uh, all the fundraising and that, they decided to stick a statue of him outside the front door. Yeah, which they could have done. Which they could easily have done. And then, obviously, Jimmy Savile is exposed as a monster. Yeah. Right? Now, would they be right in tearing the statue of Jimmy Savile down? I think they probably would, in that circumstance. So what's the difference? Just a period of time. I think so, yeah, I think so. Um, And and also because of the way that he was no longer representative of a good thing at Stoke Mandeville, because what we knew, or what we learned, was that he basically used to use his access to Stoke Mandeville um, to to molest and and sexually assault the poor inmates of the place and the patients. So I think because of the fact that it was a statue specific to that place, and because his his acts were so specific to that place as well, then I think that's, that's the difference. You know? I'll tell you what I think the difference is. I think the difference is that at the time, uh, these guys who we've never heard of hundreds of years ago were doing what they were doing. It was not illegal. It was not reprehensible. It was, or it may have been considered reprehensible by some people, but right. it was broadly accepted. Yes. In fact, the proof that it was broadly accepted is there on the bloody plinth. Right. Because they put a statue up to the exactly. guy, even though he did all this stuff. Yeah, right. So I think, I think, the people who knew about that that guy Gulligan or whatever whatever his name is, mm. and the guy they chucked in the sea, um, they knew him all, all of his all of his the sides of his character. Yes. And they still, in that time and the values of that era, they decided he was worth a statue. Yes. Now, you know that I think at some point you've got to accept that. All right. Well, that's why it's there. It's not there as an affront to to black people. No. Well, no, I mean, the Colston statue in Bristol was put up quite a few years after his death and was put up as a tribute to his... a tribute to his philanthropic activities in Bristol, you know, giving yeah. money to a school system for poor kids to go to school, setting up a hospital, all of that kind of thing, right? Um, yeah. And I assume that at the time they also weighed up, well, he was also a slave owner. Well, that's still, he's a, phil- he's a philanthropist yeah. and we'll put him up. Now, they also, this is the other thing that I get really annoyed with, with these protesters. They say, oh, yeah, but the thing is we had to do this because, you know, we've been talking about it for years in Bristol and nothing's ever happened because there was a conversation about changing the wording on the statue, apparently, which was supposed to take in some of the more unappealing aspects of his personality and what he did, but they could never agree on the wording. And also, there was a petition signed by 11,000 people to remove the statue. There's 535,000 people in Bristol, right? 11,000, to me, doesn't mean you remove it. Having having said all of this, right, and... Where I think I've changed my mind slightly um, is I was very cynical about the Black Lives Matter movement, mm. and I but I have I was, I was, you know I was looking you know I don't spend much time on Twitter but I was looking through some of the hashtags on Twitter the other day and you see 
lots of people who I admire completely and who I, you know, Barack Obama, Kobe, um, uh, LeBron James, all of the, you know, lots and lots of, of, of very, very mainstream black people adopting the Black Lives Matter campaign. And yeah. I sort of think, who the hell am I to tell them that that's not appropriate? You know, and if, if tearing down a statue of some slave trader that no one's ever heard of in Bristol makes Bristol a nicer, less diverse, uh, less racist place, then fantastic. But it that's doesn't, though. Say. That's the point. It's absolute cobblers because it doesn't make any difference. How is it going to change the way that people yeah. view Bristol? It, but it, but it, may, it may awaken uh, the debate in people's minds and give people a broader understanding of, 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 of actually that the, the benefits we enjoy were, were built and uh, created on the sweat and the, and the torture of black people from centuries ago. You know, and when you start thinking about that, you may, it may occur to you not to be a complete twat and be a racist today. I don't know. Well, the point is, is that this is a country which is one of the fairest and most honest places that you can ever live. And in terms yeah. of that, people come here from all over the world because they believe that. And the proof of that is in the pudding. If this was really a racist country, do you really think people would be risking their lives to get here, to live here, yeah. to know yeah. that they could come here and be treated as if they were uh, anybody else and without any yeah. kind of prejudice at all? You know, of course there are idiots, of course there are racists, there's yeah. always going to be racists. But my problem with all of this is that by the police effectively, you know, nodding it and giving it a wink and saying, you go ahead, guys, we're not going to get involved because we actually agree with you, because that's yeah. what the police have now become in this country. Um, yeah. They can do anything. You know, who's to say uh, they don't turn yeah. up at your door and decide that Matt Kelly's a bit of a racist and they burn your house down? Yeah, no, that's not, not um, I mean, case, you say yeah. it's not um, the case, but, you know, where, 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 what are they going to do next? You know, if you let these people, yeah. and don't forget, you know, I'm not talking about Black Lives Matters. I'm not talking about the mainstream politicians. I'm talking about the people that are behind it who are uh, hell-bent on... They want to do away with the police. I mean, have you seen what's going on in America? I don't yeah, know if you yeah, saw yeah. this CNN interview with this woman. I did. Um, yeah. Who said, well, uh, what's supposed to happen if I get my house burgled, said the presenter. And the woman she was questioning said, well, uh, you'll now feel uh, that your position of privilege is exactly what it is like if you're a black person because when you yeah. call the police uh, and you have your house burgled, you are living in fear, which is absolutely well, yeah. untrue. And I, but also, I think that exposes the great uh, error in violent protest, which is that all it will ever achieve is to bring everything down to yes. the level that you're trying to fight from. Right. And what what we should be doing as a society is bringing everybody up to the yeah. level that you know others enjoy. And I just think that, um, well, you know, tearing down statues is very symbolic, but there, there is a it does symbolise a discontent that I hadn't quite tapped into, I think, notwithstanding the fact that it's, you know, there are agitators yeah. and loonies behind I'll tell you what it. I'm more upset by. I'm more upset by a two-year-old child being shot in the head in Harlesden last week with her yeah. mother, who was also shot uh, dead by a gang yeah. war. Right. Yeah. In a Halston uh, housing estate, which is, is predominantly uh, black and minority ethnic uh, occupied. Right. I'm also more mm. upset by the fact that 18 young black men were shot dead in Chicago by other black men over the course mm. of last weekend. And no, nobody seems to care about those black lives mattering. Well, I, I mean, look, I think you're absolutely right to make the point that it's 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 not it's not certainly not a perfect slogan. And uh but, well, uh, what about that you know, BBC guy on the Isle of Man? Have you seen his story? Yeah. He was right. on a phone-in show 
And I didn't, I mean, this is actually grist of the mill for me, so I didn't realise that this is one I've missed out. I've now got to add it to my BBC list of local radio stations. 62 now, uh, because the Manx, uh, BBC Manx, I didn't know existed. Yeah. This guy's yeah. on a phone-in show, right? A guy rings in, a black guy rings in. This guy says to him, well, surely it's all lives that matter, not just black lives that matter. Mm. He's been suspended for saying really? something racist. Oh, no, that's crazy. Isn't it? You've got to be able to, you've got, I mean, the whole point is you've got to be able to have the debate. I mean, that is absolutely, is that right? Yeah. He's, he's currently insane. on suspension pending an investigation. That is insane. And that that's really insane. is. And what about Little Britain? You know, because this is where we're yeah. next going. Gone with the Wind. Yeah. You know, Gone with the Wind has now been uh-huh. pulled by HBO. I saw that. I mean, I mean is really? That, is that not just the biggest single piece of virtue signalling on the planet ever? Well, exactly. I mean, you know, Gone with the Wind's a great film. It's not racist. Yeah. In fact, the woman who plays Mammy in it was the first African-American to ever get an Oscar. That's right. That's so right. What, what the hell are they doing? As somebody well, said to me today, bad news for Zulu. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. No, but I mean, where, this is the point. Where do you stop? And, you know, you, what we will see is a load of corporations. We saw it with, with Tetley's Tea and PG Tips the other day. Oh, my God. Yeah. Some... some some right-wing nutcase said, you know, I love a bit of Yorkshire tea. And and they said, you know, tweeted, do not buy our tea yeah. again. We, we stand against racism. Well, you know what? That should just be a bloody given. And you shouldn't get a pat on the back and, and hailed as, you know, the great liberators of British corporate life. Of course, you should stand against racism. Right. But, you know, this this we will now see a procession of corporations and public figures reacting in a way that may not actually be in their heart of hearts. Yeah. So they look absolutely better than than the rest of them. One of the more ridiculous images for me this week was old Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner wearing bother boots, right, and kneeling down two metres apart, (laughs) separate from each other, uh, taking a knee. And you just go, come on, guys. There's really more important stuff going on than this, isn't there? That's fantastic. You know? You've got to seek it out. It's absolutely ridiculous. In the same yeah, way that yeah. I thought, I said this to Peter Hitchens when I spoke to him the other day, because I saw old uh, Trudeau in Canada wearing a mask yeah. and kneeling down. And I just thought, what's yeah. the world come to? This is now, yeah. the, this is the leader of Canada, you know, a massive country in the Western world, wearing a mask and kneeling down. Yeah. And if well, you, if you landed in a, in a spaceship from Mars, you'd go, what the hell's going on here? Here's a bet for you that the all the all the Premier League footballers, when it goes back, they'll all do it. Well, they've already been doing, it, haven't they? I mean, they've, you know, all these underprivileged and terribly oppressed black footballers have all been in uh, solidarity with George Floyd. And you go, yeah. right, okay, then. Um, well, you know what? Yeah, but I just, I think I disagree with you a bit here. I think it is important that. Um, I mean, here's the thing: there was a somebody said to LeBron James. Uh, when Donald Trump got elected, it was one of the anchors on a, a woman anchor on. It was a woman uh, on Fox, Fox, wasn't it? Yeah, and she said, "Shut up and dribble." Yeah, right, to, to LeBron. Yeah, and he put out a thing today, today or yesterday, where it started, "Shut up and dribble," and then it ended up, "Shut up and get down on your knees and and put your hands behind your back." And yeah. it was what the point he was making was that people, you know, that kind of dismissiveness that it doesn't matter or there's no problem or I, I feel really uncomfortable going anywhere near that because who the hell am I to know? You know, I'm white, middle-aged male, you know, probably living in the most privileged time in history, enjoying all the lappings of luxury. No one's ever been racist to me. Might have suffered some scouser jokes in my in my time, but nothing, nothing of any note. Right. Who am I to tell anybody of colour that 
you know, you're overreacting. Because I don't bloody know, mate. Yeah, no, I know. Certainly, I wouldn't tell LeBron James to shut up at any point because he's rather <laughs> a big man, and I certainly wouldn't want to be clattered by him. But well, I'll leave you. I'll leave you with this thought. You may not have heard. You, you're a student of journalism, but you may not have heard of John Edward Taylor, have you? No, I haven't. John Edward Taylor was an English business tycoon, editor, publisher, and member of the Portico Library. He was also, as it turns out, um, involved a bit in the slave trade. Right? Um, do you know what he started? I've no idea. The Guardian. Did he really? Yep. No. He did. The Guardian is owned, is is founded by a slave owner. Apparently so. Wow. I think they should all... I think Owen Jones should fall his own uh, sword, shouldn't he? I think they should all resign en masse. <laughs> Mind you, I haven't seen their latest circulation figures. I think the readers are going to resign them for them. Well, to be honest, it'd be, it'd be cheaper just to carry it around to the readers soon yeah. rather than bother printing it, you know. Right, the New European will overtake their circulation. <laughs> Listen, mate, you, you, might, you might not be joking there. You may not be no, joking. No, They're down no, to about 60,000 a day, I'm told. Something like that, yeah. Shocking. Well, listen, Shocking brilliant indeed. stuff, Matt. Thank you very much yeah. indeed, as ever. I'm glad we managed to do it this week because there was a, yeah. a bit of a mark against it at one point. So um, yeah. we'll see you next week. See you next week. Stay safe, everyone. Take care. My old mate, Owen Jones. Um, of course. You know, can't, can't get enough of it. And I did, you know, it was, a, it was very interesting. There was a photograph of him wearing a Che Guevara t-shirt. Yes. Right? Which, you know, very popular t-shirt. Now, Che Guevara was one of the biggest homophobes in history. And racist. Hated, hated gay people. Put through hundreds and hundreds of Cubans into gay re-education yeah. centres. And here you've got the leading openly gay voice of the nation wearing a Che Guevara t-shirt. Yeah. Now, now, that does... You know, I couldn't care less what, what he wears, but it does talk to this idea that we, it's a very nuanced argument, this. Yeah. And, and, you know, you look back at history and it's very hard to know where you start drawing the line. One of the more ridiculous images for me this week was old Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner wearing bother boots, right? And kneeling down two metres apart, <laughs> separate from each other, uh, taking a knee. And you just go, come on, guys. There's really more important stuff going on than this, isn't there? That's fantastic. You know? I haven't seen that. Oh, you've got to seek it out. It's absolutely ridiculous. In the same way that I thought, I said this to Peter Hitchens when I spoke to him the other day, because I saw old uh, Trudeau in Canada wearing a mask yeah. and kneeling down. And I just thought, what's yeah. the world come to? This is now, yeah. that this is the leader of Canada, you know, a massive country in the Western world, wearing a mask and kneeling down. Yeah. And if well, you, if you landed in a, in a spaceship from Mars, you'd go, what the hell's going on here? I think he likes to, to think of me as this kind of rabid, right-wing, sort of frothing-at-the-mouth maniac. What gives, you know? him, what gives him that impression? Well, I've really no idea, because clearly, as you would know more than anyone, that's definitely not the case.